Hi, and welcome to AUSU's Open Mic, your student union podcast. I'm Karen Fletcher, your president from the student union. And today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Peter Scott. Hey, Peter, how are you? I am great, Karen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a busy week, but um, ha- happy to have kind of a more relaxed thing to do at work that I always enjoy recording the podcast when it's my turn. Um, and we wanted to partially just introduce you to students because I know that a lot of students don't get to know kind of what happens behind the scenes at the university. So for some background, you've been president at AU for a little less than a year now. Um, and before that, you worked at the University of Technology in Sydney, Australia. Um, so what was it that made you say to yourself, I want to uproot my life and go to Canada because AU looks amazing? What about what about AU brought you here? Yeah, no, but really cool question. And and in order to do that, I'd have to wind back even before I went to Australia to mm-hmm. the Open University UK. Um, I was at the Open university in the united kingdom for nearly 20 years 19 years and lots of months uh so you know i didn't quite get my 20-year gold watch there i was there Mm -hmm. for a long time because that's an institution that draws you into its mission it's an institution where the service of students who are very unusual very um uh, at the center of your world very, very critical to reach out to. It's a, it's a very unusual place, uh, an open university. And the UK's open university is, is, is a powerhouse. Um, and I, I just loved it. Um, uh, the, what took me from there to Australia was that as much as I was loving the UKOU, after 20 years there, I felt it was, you know, kind of getting a little stuck and I wasn't making the critical difference. Um, there, I felt there were things I needed to learn about the university sector, and that took me to Australia. Um, the UK is great, um, but it's very different to Australia. The Australians are really, um, I don't know what the word is, I'm going to say, uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic. Uh, they are very, uh, they feel innovative, they feel like they're getting stuff done. And in that country, I was able to join um the, uni- the university executive at a very high level. I was in the university executive in, in, in the UK, but not at, at, at the, the level to make that critical difference, change the nature of the university. That was Australia. Australia got me to understand some of the critical bits that make universities work. So you can do, could actually make a change. You could actually make a difference. You could actually um, take clever things that you were doing in the UK and make them really, really work. So when the opportunity came to disrupt my life yet again, you'll imagine I'd already done that Mm -hmm. uh, in moving into the Antipodes, the opportunity came to do it again. Actually, disrupting your life is is not that big a deal if the thing you're doing is important. Um, And it takes you to a mission that is close to your heart. Um, And AU is, when when I was in the UK, we would always have considered Athabasca University to be kind of like our Canadian little sister. because yep. that's the sort of patronizing way we would have looked at it, right? Um, I'm looking at AU as something that could be, you know, just as if not more powerful than the powerhouse of openness in the UK that I served so hard for for, for 20 years. That's cool. We, um, at the student union, we meet with the student union at the Open UK about once a quarter. And it's always really interesting to see how similar we are. There's one conversation 
where we were like, so what are your top five advocacy issues? And they listed them and they said, you know, how about yours? And we were sitting there going same, literally the exact same list. Um, so it's interesting to to get together and chat about kind of the things that are similar and, and the things that are different. Um, they have a much higher population density, so it's easier for them to do some in-person social things, which we're a little bit envious of. Um, but one of the things you mentioned is that the word open and open education. And I know before I was on council, I didn't really understand what open education was and, and what that meant. So I was wondering if you could explain to students a little bit about what is an open university and what makes that what makes us different from, say, the University of Calgary or the University of Alberta, because we're open. Yeah, no, I, that, that's 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 the reason I'm here. Right. Um, the, the opportunity to lead an op one of the world's great open universities doesn't come around very often. Um, and I was very privileged to, to be asked to con consider that role. Uh, open is, is a critical word for me. Um, the world consists of many, many different types of universities, uh, many different post-secondary uh, institutions that serve different learners in different ways. And they're kind of all good, actually. It, you don't need to critique an elite mm. university like uh, Cambridge or Oxford or any of the, you know, the, the, the big world universities that are highly selective, highly elite, uh, whose job is to create research that is winning Nobel Prizes. You don't need to critique them because they're doing a great job. Wow, how cool is that? We should be proud in Canada of our elite universities. But open universities actually look at the, the learner and say, we're not elite in the sense that we should select you to be the best person to learn. We, we don't need to do that. Actually, what we need to do is ask you what you need and figure out how to get you there. Um, that means we don't select. Um, our process of selection only involves some critical features that you might need, which we will advise you about. So for example, you know, there are some, there are some things you can't study because uh, you wouldn't be successful in it, but that's not because you didn't get the right grades at school or your family didn't go to university or you um, are struggling to afford it. <laughs> um, we ought to be trying to help you solve all of those problems if we can and help you to learn what it is you feel you need to succeed. So we look we look very skeptically at the world of selection and say, okay, I guess selection has a role. You know, elite universities are elite for some reasons, but it shouldn't be because they're picking students who are automatically going to succeed. It should be successful for other reasons. All universities should help students to be successful. Um, they should help them on the journey, the path that they want to follow into their improved future. And we say selection actually, when you look at the when you look at the research, selection doesn't predict outcomes. It's kind of like, you know, the, the history, your history lays a path into the future, but it doesn't tell you what it's going to be. Um, yes. When you look at all the data, the world that selects learners and then what happens when they study at university and when they leave, there is no good correlation between what you do coming into a post-secondary institution and what you do leaving a post-secondary institution. That, for me, shows that you don't need to select what you need to do is look to see how you make that difference working jointly with learners 
to, to create the new you. Uh, our job is to work with you to create the new you, whatever you've decided you, you need, whatever we can help you to do. And, you know, your high school results don't, don't, don't tell us who the new you mm-hmm. is going to be. They certainly don't tell you who you're going to be. So, so we set that challenge aside and we look at other things as well. You know, how about if, if conventional universities, elite or otherwise, um, only take intakes when the high school's finished, because that's when all of their their natural learners are ready. We don't need to do that. You can you should be able to start when it suits you. Um, you should be able to put things together in a way that works for you, as long as we can make it make sense for your outcome. You should have a lot more control over that process. So for us, it's about flexibility, and it's about let's not look at the inputs. Let's look at the outputs. So look at what you're going to do, not what you bring to the party. Yeah. One of the things that I, I hear a lot from students is that AU works for them in, in a sense that another university wouldn't, whether they live far away from one, or in my case, I can get childcare. There are people that, that just are like, you know, the brick and mortar institution isn't gonna fit me. And from a student union perspective, we often face challenges because our students don't fit that stereotype of what people think of when they think of a student. Like they're not that 19 to 22 single, no kids, uh, no like huge ties down where they can't move around. Um, and then when we go to advocate for our students, especially to government, uh, we find that a lot of times programs will be created for that stereotype and our students are left out. So we spend a lot of time being like, not all students are, are 20. Um, and I was wondering from kind of a leading the university perspective, what are the challenges that the university faces that are connected to the fact that AU students don't necessarily fit that stereotype yeah so it, it's you know um i i like to think that their strengths not weaknesses mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, re- the reality is that um young people rolling out of high school often don't know what they want to do yeah um more mature learners have a clearer idea of uh where they come from and, and where they want to be um, young people are often doing a whole range of other things other than studying um, whereas more mature learners actually have, they're, work, they're working hard on this thing and they want to get it done. It's not that they're, you know, the, the life transitions are very, very important to everyone, but they're, they're, they're less volatile from teenage years to your, your more middle years. Um, so actually that gives you a huge amount of strength in, mm. in being a learner. One of the things, you know, it's that strength and weakness things, a challenge for more open learning is that we do rely on more self-motivated, self-regulated learners. Mm. You have to be more different. Um, the advantage that a timetable in a classroom gives you is you kind of have to show up at nine o'clock for that lecture. Um, when you have a bit more control, that's a cost as well as a as an advantage, right? Because um, you have to be stronger as a uh, as a learner than an average teenager rolling out of high school needs to be because they can just, you know, follow follow the rules that are set for them. Many of our rules are negotiated between us um, and that, that puts a lot more pressure on the more mature learner. So strengths and weaknesses, we have to be more supportive, I think, than the conventional universities in the bricks and mortar have to because they have all sorts of shapes around them that reinforce good behavior, you know, so that they have... 50 minutes for a lecture 
you come in, you sit down, you write it down, you ask some questions, you leave. Mm -hmm. the, the structures that we have are much more negotiable, much more flexible, much more down to how you want to work. And that's really, really cool. That's really, really great. So long as we agree that you're going to do that and, you, and you're progressing and we know when you're not and we can talk about that. So mm -hmm. we have to build things that are very different, really, to help um, the more mature learners at an open university to progress than you know, uh, the conventional structures of a university naturally reinforce. We, we have to build all of those things in a virtual way. Um, right. Because glass doesn't help us. But you know what? It's also a massive advantage. <laughs> it's really, really cool to be able to do that sort of reinvention. So in terms of change, in five years, what do you want to be different at AU and what do you want to be the same? So, so one of the things uh, I came here to do was lift our game. I glanced back over the pond at the, the Open University in the UK, and I look at a very powerful institution serving a large community of learners um, and serving it pretty well. I look at AU and I say, yeah, we've actually been doing a really cool, good job for 50 years, but we've never quite notched up the impact nationally that we, we would deserve. So I'd definitely like to crank up the reach of this mm. university. There are so many communities of learners that are still disengaged and don't know how we can help. And absolutely, there's a whole bunch of 21st century things um, that all universities need to reflect on what they do and say, you know what, we could be so much better than this. We're good, sure. In all of Canada's universities, you can say, yeah, there's really great strengths here. What does it need to be better on? Well, at AU, it's things like the human connection. It's hard to do. We need to be much better at that. Mm -hmm. In AU, it's things like, you know, great quality assurance, great quality control. Um, academic work these days is a team game. So how are our teams playing in a really powerful way with students in the creation of the curriculum that works, works for everyone? Um, how are we stepping up into the first 21st century and making sure that we're fully digitally engaged with all the right tools? AU's created a platform for that even before I arrived, but there's a lot to do to actually deliver on the promise of that platform for the, the really new teaching that we could be doing in the 21st century. I'd say mm -hmm. Australia's a little ahead in that picture, even in the UK, and creating some really innovative new programs. I want Canada to do that too, and AU will make them distinctively open. Mm. That's interesting. One of the things that I hear a lot of from students is wanting more multimedia um, in their courses and wanting it not just to be text-based. Um, and, and I was in an interesting meeting on Monday with some students and they were kind of like, how does that happen? Like, how do, how do things change behind the scenes? So I, I know that that's a piece of feedback we've brought to to the leadership multiple times. And so I was wondering if you could explain a bit to students like, how does something like that, a piece of feedback, go from a request from students, hey, we'd love video lectures is, is a big request, to making that happen? And what does that look like from the university side of things? Yeah, so, so for me, it's actually not so much about individual media elements. Um, it's that those individual media elements arise out of critical decisions in pedagogy. Um, so what I want AU to have, and I know all of my team do too, 
<laughs> from the provost, five provost all the way down, is a signature pedagogy that is, every time you look at an AU course, you should be able to say that's an AU course. And mm. it is 21st century and strong. And guess what? That will include critical elements that are highly interactive. Mm. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of in my previous institution is helping to create a signature pedagogy for a bricks and mortar city-based institution in a digital and classroom form where you realize that, you know, you shouldn't be working through a, a, a long piece of a story, a long bit of narrative without interacting, without touching mm. something, making a decision, without hearing a view, without seeing an opinion. Um, all of those things in are strong pedagogical elements that will use the right sorts of media. And video is absolutely one of those. If we're not using a, a critical 21st century affordance, a shape like video to suit that pedagogy, then we're not, you know, we're insufficiently strong in whatever the um, open signature is for this university. Mm. So for example, one of the things I did uh, in my previous university is all courses opened up on an intro video where an academic in their voice was explaining the key key issue for this course. Uh, you never moved very far without an assessment. Didn't need to be a, you know, a, a summative assessment. It needed to help you to understand whether you had understood where you'd got to. Right. Um, the, the, the sequencing and the shape of those things is the discipline of learning design. And for me, the, that's one of the key new players in the academic field in all universities, a skilled professional, a set of professionals who help academics to design learning deliberately to a pedagogy that's gonna work and that fits the requirement of the learner and the abilities we have in the 21st century to use technology well. Mm. For those students who don't know the word pedagogy, it's kind of like, how you go about teaching stuff. That was a new one for me on student council. So if that's a new word for you, I just thought I'd flag that. Sorry. No. It's been, it's been my discipline for my entire academic career, caring about how learning, here's the thing. My, I started as a psychologist, right? So right. At my heart I'm a psychologist and I taught language and I taught learning in psychology. And the cool thing about learning is it's something that people do anyway and you can't stop them. <laughs> yeah. pedagogy is about how we help you to do that really well yeah, it's the it's the science of understanding how to improve learning improve the experience and improve the outcomes and one of the big tricks in pedagogy is you learn best when you're motivated to learn <laughs> mm. uh, but there's a whole bunch of other extremely important lessons that academics have to take seriously when they are making learning by design they're creating it deliberately and that's what we all do in, in universities. We call it curriculum. <laughs> in, in the film world, you'll call it a narrative arc. Um, and the, the critical difference between us and, and a movie maker is that there'll be a test. <laughs> there'll be a test along the way. And at the end, we'll want to know um, if, you, if you'd achieved your outcomes. Yeah. It's interesting to see some of the newer courses that are coming out. I'm in one right now where it's a robot building course. Um, it's Comp 444, if any of you are looking for a good senior science elective. Um, and and it, someone asked me if, if I knew of any good easy senior courses. And I was like, well, if you mean easy, like you're going to succeed at it, I'd, I'd say that one. But 
if you mean easy as in no work, I, I, I can't help you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> because like it's put together in a way that you're like, oh, you just do the next thing and you'll learn stuff. And um, that has been really neat. I've been having a ton of fun with that. Yeah, no, and again, when academics are at their most creative, they're not necessarily doing something that's easy. So pedagogy doesn't help you to build design learning that is is easy because um, actually a lot of learning can be quite hard and the amount of effort you put into it good good learning theory again the amount of effort you put into something uh helps to ensure the that the outcome is is a, a better one um so part of a good pedagogy is to encourage you to put the work in <laughs> and yeah. work hard and achieving the outcome and make you not give up because we've pitched it wrong so and um, be engaged and creative and, and making uh, most pedagogies 21st century are very constructivist they you're about building in building something you're building your mind uh, and how helping your mind to move around the things you are building so that's something like robot construction is a really great course to help you to tie all of those outcomes together yeah um, the more the more we can look at those sorts of designs for for our courses the more engaged learners can be in their outcomes yeah so I know one of the thing that's unique about AU is that um, we have a ton of, of first generation students and I recently found out that you were the first in your family to go to university so I was wondering like what was that like and how do you go from being like I am the first one to do this to being a university president because that seems like quite a journey yeah no so, so, so it 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 really is one of the things that I'm I'm very proud of personally, um, and I'm very proud of all of our learners who are encountering learning for the first time. Um, I, I think it's very important, as I said, that your 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 past doesn't dictate your future. Mm -hmm. um, you shouldn't you shouldn't be successful because your parents were successful. You should be successful because you've made it happen. Um, so seventy percent of our learners ballpark I means I think maybe sixty eight percent of undergraduates in our last uh, outcome survey were first in family. 70% is an outrageously great outcome for us. I'm, I'm so pleased about that. Um, I know for myself, you know, when, when you're approaching the possibility of university study out of high school, um, and this was very many years ago, if you don't have a brother or sister who's done it, if, if your parents haven't done it, you end up looking at all the forms you have to fill in and you will end up looking at the things you're supposed to do and you don't have someone to explain to you what it all means. Mm. I remember showing up on a university campus with my parents looking very, very lost. And they were asking me, is there something you need? What, what, what can we get you to be successful? And we looked at each other and said, you know what? I have the faintest idea. I have no idea how this works. Perhaps you could buy me some, some trainers. <laughs> so we, we raced into the town and bought me some sports equipment because I was thinking, I probably need some more shoes. I just don't, I don't know what I need. I guess a pen. Um, so mm. if, if you're, if you aren't supported by a family who knows how this works, um, then it, it can be quite daunting. Now the world has moved on. People are much more comfortable with the idea of university education. It's much more of a thing now than it was when I went to university, but even now it's, it's daunting if you don't have that history and experience and people around you to say, it'll all be all right. Here's how it works. Here's what an assignment is. Here's what constitutes the work you're going to have to do. Um, it's worth it. 
Um, so mm -hmm. if you're first in family, you don't have that. You have to, like I said, you have to do a lot of the work yourself. You have to figure it out yourself. And that can be daunting. So I'm very proud of a learner who's who's the the first in their in their generation to 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 walk across that stage virtually and or otherwise um, and shake that hand and take that certificate and celebrate the um the the culmination of a great deal of really really great work so do you have any advice for AU students who are who are just starting out or, or who are looking around being like can I do this I'm I'm first um, it, again, don't be afraid to ask. Number one, don't be afraid to ask. I think we are all successful because there are folk around us who we can draw on to be successful. Um, and look for those. Look for those people who can help and support you. Um, I think, you know, I'm always very, very pleased to see, you know, just out of shot in, in these camera shots are your family, friends, supporters, peers. Um, if you don't have family and you don't have friends who can support you, there are peers. Uh, you have a you have a union of peers, uh, fellow students who you can ask questions of, who you can learn from. Um, it's don't be afraid to ask for help. Absolutely, uh, we're all here to help you. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's one of these sorts of things that I, I genuinely believe that life is a team game. <laughs> mm. So if university is a team game, we're not playing it very well. Uh, I consider myself to be a member of the team. And it's one of the things I loved about this university when I joined. You, we didn't have the conversations about, you know, staff members or the executive. Um, those things do happen, but not not on my watch. It's about being a good team member. Um, I'm, I'm playing my role in the team best I can. Uh, you're in the team too, and we're working on it together. So let's let's talk as a team, support each other as a team. Try to think about life as a team game and you'll be successful at university. Yeah. And you're right. You can totally ask the student union. For those of you who don't know, we have an app and that has a discussion board, but we also, there are Facebook groups and you can just ask questions. And we have one very dedicated counselor who, if I don't notice your question fast enough, will tag me. And I'm so thankful at that because I'm not great at social media. Um, Amber is our little social media angel. Um, so one question I, I ask pretty much everyone who comes on the podcast, um, doing a bit of a survey, this is sort of how I end things, is um, is oatmeal soup? Why or why not? <laughs> I think the answer has to be yes. Okay, but why? <laughs> okay, it's one of those sorts of things, you know when you walk up to your refrigerator, and you open the freezer door and there's all this fantastic brown um, and you get a tub. There's a, I, I don't know what your uh, freezer looks like, but my freezer is filled with containers of brown. Um, these are the things that I have cooked and left over and put in the fridge or right. deliberately chosen to put in the fridge. I'm a fan of curry. So I create a lot of curries, I create big curries. Uh, they invariably turn out to be brown. In fact, I'm sad to say even my tomato soup turns out to be brown. And so I rack these things up in, in the, and if I, I could be bothered to, I don't freeze oatmeal, but um, my family heritage is Scots. So I can, I can tell you many stories about porridge. Um, but uh, my father would tell me that uh, when he went to work, average working class guy, his, his uh, mother would pour the porridge into a drawer, allow it to set, 
and give him a slice for his lunch. Oh uh, that's working class Glaswegian lunch would be a slice of porridge. That's not a soup, but everything I ever do turns into soup. So oatmeal, yeah, it's soup. It's all, and it would, I'm sad to say it would be brown. I, I mean, you could add maple syrup and, and say like it was brown on purpose. I feel like that has the potential. <laughs> to... No, I, I'm very sad that everything I concoct, if I put it in the freezer, it turns brown. And then I have the oh. delightful mystery of knowing what I have for tea because it's some defrosting brown thing. <laughs> and the question is, do I have this with rice or not? I don't know. You need labels. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I like the mystery, the, the Russian roulette of picking something randomly out of the fridge. But I, I, I do, you know, Scots heritage, I get through a lot of oatmeal and uh, I like, like it soupy. That's fair. I make baked oatmeal and um, so it's not soup at all, but I add cocoa. So it's chocolate oatmeal. So it's supposed to be brown, um, chocolate and peanut it's, butter. See there again, it's that, um, you know, the, the Scottish roots, you can't add stuff to porridge. It has to come. I mean, you put sugar on your polish? Seriously? <laughs> no, hardened, hardened Scots person. Perhaps a pinch of salt. <laughs> oh, I have never heard that. Okay. Well, thank uh, you yeah. so much. Yeah, Scotch heritage coming out there, I'm afraid. I have some of that, but it's been sufficiently diluted. <laughs> Very wise. My, my porridge knowledge is is uh, is lower than average, I suppose. Um well, thank you so much for taking the time and coming. Um, this has been fun and it's always nice to to hear what's going on in the AU side of things. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thank, thank you for inviting me. It's always great to talk to the team. Oh, my pleasure. So, and thank you listeners and you'll see us next time or hear us next time, I suppose, on the next episode of Open Mic.